Welcome to the Wise Crone Cottage Podcast with storyteller Kathy Shimpock. Here we'll meet the crone and uncover her wisdom as found in fairy tales, folk tales, and myths. For it is true that stories, as it is with many people, become better as they grow older. Know that no matter how difficult your journey has been through the magical forest, the wise crone always opens her door to you. In this episode, it's all about Santa, the folklore story and the greater archetype. I posit the question of whether Santa can be gender neutral. We'll explore an adapted version of the poem, A Visit from Santa Claus, written by Clement Clark Moore. Think on it. For just a moment, Santa Claus is the wise crone? Why not? A great while ago, when the world was full of wonders. Happy holidays. Each year, I ponder creating the most perfect dinner party. But in a COVID-19 world, this endeavor has taken on a fantasy theme. Like many of you, I keep a running list of ideal guests living and dead in my head. People who are both congenial and provide scintillating conversation are the first to be invited. Most certainly, you would make the list. Carl Jung, Joseph Campbell, and Ruth Bader Ginsburg are also on my list, as well as the Dalai Lama, Paul McCartney, and Eleanor Roosevelt. I have enough questions for each to fill a multitude of dinners. But the number one person on that list is Santa Claus. Yes, the big jolly guy in the red suit. Why Santa? He serves tirelessly and selflessly to bring joy to children throughout the world. I have lots of questions for him. I mean, what an enterprise! What organization! Before you tell me he's a mythological figure, let me remind you that mythology is a recording of the sacred stories of the past. And Santa has the most sacred of all the stories. Santa Claus began as St. Nicholas, an early Greek Christian bishop who lived in the 4th to 5th century. Nicholas was dedicated to helping the poor throughout his life, famously and anonymously paying for the dowries of impoverished girls. His reputation as a secret gift giver grew with time, and he became known especially for depositing coins or treats in the shoes of children who would leave them out for that very purpose, sometimes in exchange for carrots or hay left for his horses. Canonized after his death, St. Nicholas was named as the patron saint of children, sailors, and all of Greece. His feast day, St. Nicholas Day, is December 6th, which falls early in the Advent season. So, historically, we see that St. Nicholas, now known as Santa Claus, was holy and his story a spiritual one. It's different from the story of Father Christmas, which is based on pagan and medieval British folklore. Father Christmas originally was more concerned with adult feasting and merrymaking than with children. From these early days, the story of the life of St. Nicholas spread to other countries where he continued to be honored. 
Although the practices varied slightly and the names were somewhat different, it was in essence Santa Claus. This was a movement. It was a movement that grew and grew with the legend and the magic becoming more lovely and fantastic. The story brought joy both in the telling and in the hearing. Soon, everyone wanted a little bit of this action, for Santa touched a very deep part of our hearts, one that is often closed off in our modern world of isolation and separation. After a time, this idea, this movement, became so important that Santa Claus became an archetype. That is a universal role that remains deep in our unconscious mind that we can bring forth at any time it is triggered. It's this archetype that has grown and encompassed the world, and it is this archetype that is most certainly gender-neutral. So, like 27% of folks in the U.S. or the U.K., I argue that Santa can be female. When I first started to explore this idea, I discovered that Santa Claus had been female in the past. Australian women dressed up as Santa Claus from the 1930s to the 1950s. This is complete with red Santa suit and beard. In 1930, Sydney had a woman Santa, Mrs. Thelma Lewis of Randwick. She was believed to be Australia's only woman Santa. In 1935, Nancy Brid Walton, who was described as the angel of the outback, piloted a female Santa Claus to a New South Wales children's hospital. During the Second World War, women became Santa out of necessity. In Australia, the press took this change in stride. There will be a subtle change in the person of Santa Claus this year, the reporter writes. He will probably be slimmer and smaller, and he will probably won't talk, because his voice won't be quite as deep as it should be. Mother will have the difficult job of deputizing for Santa Claus this year, as most fathers in camps and on ships will not get leave. In the U.S., women continued to portray Santa during the war, even with some grumbling resistance. Harry McLemore claimed to have gotten the shock of my life when he stumbled upon a woman Santa in a nameless department store. If there is such a thing as a minor horror, then a minor horror of this war is female Santa Clauses, he wrote. Christine Kringle, Sarah St. Nicholas, Susie, Santa Claus, holy smoke! But Santa has always been a man, I hear some of you cry. Why won't Mrs. Claus do? The character of Mrs. Claus developed over time in literature, advertising, and media. She became a 1950s image of a grandmother, fairly heavy-set, kindly, white-haired, elderly. She bakes cookies, oversees the elves, and manages the Claus's enterprise. We don't know if they have children or not. She embodies the traditional female role of the 50s. After all, she's Mrs. Claus, not Ms. Claus or Minna Shimpak. Sometimes in modern advertising, she is even depicted as sexy Mrs. Claus with a short skirt and low-cut top. 
But no matter how much she gives, cocoa she pours, and elves she keeps in check, she is no Santa. Sadly, over time, the resistance grew. In 1999, a female Santa sued a Walmart in Louisville, Kentucky, for unfair dismissal after a customer complained that it was a man's job. She lost the lawsuit. But I'm not talking about women cross-dressing as Santa. I'm talking about a world filled with female Santas. However, in order to match the folkloric ideal, she must follow some of the stereotypical elements, at least initially. Certainly, there must be something to the Santa brand to universally identify him or her. Red hood or fur-lined outfits are mandatory, while beards are not. Instead of pretending to be Santa, we now find people embodying the essence of the jolly old man. In the U.S., this might be a foreign idea, but not so in Europe. In Italy, there is the folkloric tradition of the Bafana. Her first reference was found in a 1549 poem. She was an old witch who rides a broomstick carrying sacks of treats, either candy or coal, to children on January 5th. We might call the Bafana a Santa variant, although she looks very different. She wears a black shawl, a headscarf, or a tall hat. She enters the homes through the chimney and fills the stockings of children with gifts if they are deemed worthy. Since a Bafana is an excellent housekeeper, people believe that she always sweeps the floor before leaving. Some trust that the sweeping means doing away with the problems of the year. One can only hope. In most cases, the child's family leaves a small amount of food and a glass of wine for the Bafana. Sounds a bit like Santa, doesn't it? In Clement Clark Moore's 1892 poem, A Visit from St. Nicholas, I will shift the gender of Santa to female. I chose this story because it depicts the traditional Santa and has done much to share the legend. Ponder if this archetype shifts with gender or if it's universal after all. But now, a story. Not in my time, not in your time, but in the wise crone's time. A Visit from St. Nicholas by Clement Clark Moore T'was a night before Christmas when all through the house not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care in hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there. The children were nestled all snug in their beds while visions of sugar plums danced in their heads and mine or kerchief and I in my cap had just settled down for a long winter's nap, when out on the lawn there arose such a clatter, I sprang from my bed to see what was the matter. Away to the window I flew like a flash, tore open the shutters, and threw up the sash. The moon on the breast of a new-fallen snow gave a luster of midday to objects below. When what to my wondering eyes did appear? But a miniature sleigh and eight tiny reindeer. With a little old driver so lively and quick, I knew in a moment she must be St. Nick. 
More rapid than eagles her coursers they came, and she whistled and shouted and called them by name. Now Dasher, now Dancer, now Prancer and Vixen, on Comet, on Cupid, on Donner and Blitzen, to the top of the porch, to the top of the wall, now dash away, dash away, dash away all. As leaves that before the wild hurricane fly, when they meet with an obstacle, mount to the sky, so up to the housetop the coursers they flew, with a sleigh full of toys, and St. Nicholas too. And then in a twinkling I heard on the roof the prancing and pawing of each little hoof. As I drew in my head and was turning around, down the chimney St. Nicholas came with a bound. She was dressed all in fur from her head to her foot, and her clothes were all tarnished with ashes and soot. A bundle of toys she had flung on her back, and she looked like a peddler just opening her pack. Her eyes, how they twinkled, her dimples, how merry, her cheeks were like roses, her nose like a cherry. Her droll little mouth was drawn up like a bow, and the fur on her dress was as white as the snow. The cuff of the boot she held tight on her feet, and the garland encircled her head like a wreath. She had a broad face and a little round belly that shook when she laughed like a bowl full of jelly. She was chubby and plump, a right jolly old elf, and I laughed when I saw her in spite of myself. A wink of her eye and a twist of her head soon gave me to know I had nothing to dread. She spoke not a word, but went straight to her work, and filled all the stockings and turned with a jerk, and laying her finger aside of her nose, and giving a nod, up the chimney she rose. She sprang to her sleigh, to her team gave a whistle, and away they all flew like the down of a thistle. But I heard her exclaim, ere she drove out of sight, "'Happy Christmas to all, and to all a good night!' You may be wondering how I know these old stories, but that is a story for another day. The moral of the story is... Yes, Santa Claus and Father Christmas are traditionally male. But if you change out all the he's with the she's in this poem, you'll see nothing is lost. Perhaps a new image, but not a lesser one. Michael Unger writes... So what if Santa is a woman? Wouldn't it be an empowering symbol for our daughters and a lesson in gender equity for our sons? Besides, these days, who wants their kids sitting on some strange man's knee at the mall? If we're going to tease our children with fantasy, wouldn't it be nice to have a few more female superheroes to tell them about? I say, who better than Santa? How do you embody the archetype of Santa, should you be interested in doing so? There are a few essential elements. Make sure you get this one right, for some people get it a bit confused. Remember, the red suit and whiskers are optional. 1. You must enjoy giving more than, or at least as much, as receiving. Number 2. You must give anonymously. All the secret Santa gift exchanges are pretty redundant. That's like saying Santa-Santa gift exchange, for Santa by nature is secret. 3. You must give to children or to those in need. This is the key. Number 4. You must discover the gift that is desired and give that gift, not one you think is more practical, needed, or better. 
Five, some say you must give to those who are worthy, whatever that means. Actually, the whole idea of naughty or nice was not part of St. Nicholas's mission. It probably came as a way to bribe children into good behavior. It may also have been taken from some old European folk tales. My folkloric listeners can find these stories categorized as the Arne Thompson tale type 480. To me, worthy means I don't give my Santa gifts to those who already have plenty. I give to those who are suffering and in need. Worthy just reiterates the earlier requirement to give to children or to those in need. 6. You must never disclose who gave the gift or who is behind the mask. You'll note this is also true for superheroes. And number 7. Back to number 1. If you can't give in joy, don't give at all. Try a few deep ho-ho-hos to get you in the mood, or, as a female Santa, perhaps the higher-pitched ho-ho-ho will do just as well. But really, I don't know how the pure crystal seed that came forth from St. Nicholas spread. Was it reincarnation? Was it this archetype that, as Carl Jung would say, went into the collective unconscious that we can all tap into? Was it the power of the story? Was it Joseph Campbell's idea of the hero's journey? Was it a benign virus that started to infect us globally? I don't know for sure, but I do know what a difference it has made in the world. Too bad Santa goes away to the North Pole after Christmas. We need her each and every day. Imagine for just a moment that Santa was president. I think that's why we've seen offshoots of the Santa movement when we practice random acts of kindness. So I must come clean here. I'm a bit of a Santa freak. My mother, Minna Shimpak, loves Santa, and she shared that love with me. It was told in stories so pure and clear that I could feel the frost of the air on my skin and the snowflakes on my tongue. I could feel myself squishing down the chimney and drinking the hot cocoa. She also shared it with me in song, in the joy of sparkling lights and holiday decorations, and in the creation of exquisite Santa cookies. Then there is a memory of my grandfather who always wanted to be with children on Christmas morn and found joy in their awe-filled faces. Finally, I remember my sweet niece, Annie Satori, as we watched for the red light on Rudolph's nose in the sky. For many years, I had a five-foot Santa greet you at my front door. I think it may be time to bring her back, for to me, Santa Claus is sorely needed in the world today. Close your eyes and imagine a world in which we all give continuously and anonymously each and every day and practice those random acts of kindness. We'd get our minds off ourselves and onto another. Perhaps we'd even wear a mask and stay six feet apart. Our disappointments would seem much less when we realize that we really have it pretty good in comparison to many in the world. Conflicts would reduce. Peace would reign. Is this not a movement worth embracing? Growing up, my mother was Santa. She decorated the house, picked out all the presents, made the cookies, and told the stories. Women have always been Santa, and psychologists agree. Researchers David 
Sinardet and Dmitry Mortelmans discovered that when it comes to exchanging gifts and keeping our kinship network strong, it's women more than men who do this work. Women also experience more satisfaction than men in selecting gifts. Gift-giving for them becomes more than a single exchange. It is a symbolic connection to others. Okay, okay, I know there are still some nay, or should I say nay, sayers out there. So here are my answers to your frequently asked questions. First, what about Jesus? Christmas is about Jesus, isn't it? Not Santa Claus. Yes, absolutely. As you will recall, St. Nicholas was an early Christian. Christmas is all about giving gifts. It's the gift of the Christ child to the world. We also see the gifts from the wise men. Santa is an example of living in service. My kids would become Santa when they picked an angel off the community tree to give a gift to a child that had less. The Santa movement, in my way of thinking, does not dilute the story of the birth of Christ. Instead, it provides an everlasting example of how we might follow this path. In addition, you don't need to be Christian to embrace the Santa movement. Santa has moved far beyond sainthood. This movement is open to all, no matter what your spiritual beliefs. I personally think the Dalai Lama would make the perfect Santa. His laughter is so infectious. And what about the former First Lady Barbara Bush? Wouldn't she have fit the stereotype? Next question. Isn't this just about commercialism and materialism? How much are you planning to spend here? No one said the gifts had to be bought. And all of Santa's gifts were handmade, after all. They could be gifts of service, perhaps. Giving should not be a codependent, obsessive, or debt-bringing activity. It must come from love and joy. There are moments in which the perfect gift is a simple thank you or a heartfelt smile. 4. If I tell my children about Santa Claus, I'm, you can pick one of these, lying to them or keeping them in a fantasy world. Ah, this one always gets me going. We once lived in a world where all the knowledge worth knowing was shared by story. In those days, our imaginations were keen, and our ideas and creativity burst forth freely. That was, of course, before the world of time clocks and cubicles and having to do tasks one way. The world of our ancestors was a world of magic and miracles. Read the myths and the folk tales and discover that world for yourself. It was the world of the right brain. When we became industrialized, we shut that world down and became the world of the left brain. Analytical and linear thinkers like Star Trek's Mr. Spock and the scientists who believe only what science has proven in this moment. Yawn. We all know how reliable science is. Take a note of all the theories that have been replaced over time. Science is not fixed. It is a continuing process of knowledge. They say no miracles exist because of what we currently know in science. But that's only one way to look at the world, and a very narrow one at that. Who do you want your children to become? creative, imaginative, free thinkers, or 
robots who can only spout and regurgitate what has been hand-fed into them by our culture. Embrace critical thinking and remember Albert Einstein's belief that imagination is more important than knowledge. Open to your right brain. Allow the images to come forth. Allow yourself to daydream and imagine again. There will be less depression and more contentment with the world. Fantasy is needed today just as much as it was for our ancestors, maybe even more. Tell the truth about Santa. Allow your children to embrace the magic. Next question. What about the belief that all this magic is a bunch of rubbish? I'm sorry to hear that, Ebenezer, for there is one universal law above all others. I know this is not the Kabbalion, but you've just got to trust me here. Seeing is not believing. Believing is seeing. You want to know why you can't manifest, why God or the angels don't grant you a miracle? That's simple. It's because you don't believe it can happen. You are living in a constant state of negativity and resistance. God is as little or as big as we make him or her. Keep that in mind when things aren't working out in your life. So yes, I am a defender of the clause, for I believe and know from the very bottom of my heart that if we all buy into the story, to the giving, to the magic, our world will be different. As Michael Unger contends, we should ignore the presence and see instead the generosity. We should see Santa as a celebration of character strengths, such as perseverance, empathy, emotional attunement, thoughtfulness, courage, organizational skills, problem-solving, and kindness. These qualities are gender-neutral. If we embrace the clause the world would be fundamentally better. It will be a world worth celebrating each and every day. To me, Santa is as real as any of you. And finally, hear these words anew, as posted by the editor of the New York Sun newspaper. Yes, Virginia, fill in your name here. There is a Santa Claus. Santa exists as certainly as love and generosity and devotion exist, and you know that they abound and give to your life its highest beauty and joy. Alas, how dreary would be the world if there were no Santa Claus. It would be as dreary as if there were no Virginias. There would be no childlike faith then, no poetry, no romance to make tolerable this existence. We should have no enjoyment except in sense and sight. The eternal light with which childhood fills the world would be extinguished. No Santa Claus? Thank God Santa lives and lives forever. A thousand years from now, Virginia, nay, ten times ten thousand years from now, Santa will continue to make glad the heart of childhood. Many thanks to my mother, Minna McLean Chimpock, for her continuing Santa inspiration. I end with her favorite Santa song, Up on the Housetop, written by Benjamin Russell Hanby in 1813. The lyrics are completely gender neutral. Check that out for yourself.
Thanks to Kevin McLeod for this royalty-free version. knows it's time for you to leave. Your journey home takes you back through the forest. It may at times be difficult, but no fear. Her final words to you are, Remember to stay on the path. Do not leave the path no matter what you see or experience. And so it was, and so it is. Thank you for listening. We'll meet again the fourth Sunday of each month This podcast has been sponsored by Heart Symbol Publishing, where you'll find a wide variety of guided imagery downloads to achieve your goals and enhance your life. This is the storyteller, Kathy Shimpock. This podcast is narrated by Linda Bennett. Music is The Snow Queen by Kevin MacLeod at Incompetet.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 License. Stories by the Brother Grimm are in the public domain.